Well, it's good to see everybody. Glad that you're here and those joining us online. We welcome you to our Wednesday night Bible study. This is always a very special time of the week for me. I really enjoy uh, digging into His Word and studying it together and glad that you've joined us. So let's have a word of prayer and ask God's blessings upon our time together this evening. Father, we thank you tonight for the opportunity to open up your word, to study your word. We're thankful for every single book that you give us. Thankful for the whole counsel of God that you've given to us where we don't have to wonder how you feel. God, you've given us a book as to commandments and to your statutes, to your laws. God, help us to obey those and follow you closely. God, thank you for our people tonight, for their interest in the Bible and their interest in studying your word. Those who have joined us online, their interest as well. And pray that your blessings will be upon us. The Spirit will guide us tonight as we study your word together. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, tonight we're going to look at a study entitled, How to Coexist with Almighty God. And that is an overview of the book of Leviticus. So tonight... I'm going to give you an overview of the book of Leviticus. You might remember our Zechariah series ended last Wednesday night. So through the summer months, we're going to look on Wednesdays at different topics and texts throughout uh, the Wednesday night Bible studies. And tonight's just going to be a one, uh, one lesson that we have looking at Leviticus because I think Leviticus is a book that not many Christians understand a lot about. Sometimes we just kind of avoid it. And so tonight we're going to talk a little bit more about Leviticus and why it's important to us today. Later in the summer, August 9, August 16, and August 23, three Wednesday nights in a row, we're going to have a uh, special three-week series um, where three different experts in their field are going to be here to teach the lesson. One's going to teach um, uh, on uh, the 9th, one on the 16th, and one on the 23rd. Not necessarily teaching, it's more just like a presentation about different uh, aspects in our culture. And uh, the first week is going to be on artificial intelligence and the metaverse and how does that relate to the Christian faith and how is that going to affect us as believers in the days to come. Katie Fruget will be here to present that. The following week we're going to look on August 16th at gender identity and orientation. There's a lot being said in our culture about gender, gender identity and gender orientation and Katie McCoy written a book recently. She'll be uh, presenting that on that Wednesday night, the 16th. And then the 23rd, Shane Pruitt is going to be here talking about a culture and the church. What we can do, standing for truth, but yet trying to somehow reach our culture in the shape that it's in. So three weeks in a row, I think you're going to enjoy those on Wednesday nights. Uh, we'll be having that. So that will be August 9, 16, and 23. And then the following week, August the 30th, I'll begin teaching uh, week by week, verse by verse, through 1 Peter, a series entitled Culture Shock. 1 Peter is an interesting book because the believers in that day were trying to live for Christ, but the culture of the Roman Empire at the time, very antagonistic toward the gospel, toward the Christianity. And so Peter said, you believers today are kind of like living in a foreign culture, in a foreign land. He called them aliens. Uh, believers were the aliens. And so sometimes we kind of feel like that in our culture, in our day, because it is so antagonistic toward our faith uh, that sometimes it's like we're aliens trying to live out our faith uh, in, in a different location. And so anyway, it really relates to us today. So it's a Bible study that I've entitled Culture Shock through First Peter, verse by verse. And we'll start that August 30th, and that will take us then 
through, the, uh, through toward Christmas. Um, just to kind of let you know, as I teach on Wednesday nights and preach series on Sunday mornings, just to kind of let you know what I feel God has, has impressed me to do through the years, I'm very purposeful <clears throat> to include all the different genres of the Bible. And here's the reason why. I don't just stay all in Acts, or I don't just stay all in the Old Testament, or all in the New Testament. I feel like that what Paul did in Ephesus, I need to do as pastor. In Ephesus, if you remember, chapter 20, Paul was in Ephesus longer than anywhere else. He was there three years. That three years is a long time for Paul. He just they usually stay a few months. So he stayed three years, and at the end of three years, he was leaving them. He went down to Miletus to get on a ship to leave, and the elders of the church at Ephesus hated to see him go. So he went down there, to, they went, the elders went down to the, to the ship with him, get ready to sail, and there at Miletus, Paul spoke to them, they, they, they hugged and they cried, and, and he spoke to them before they left, and he said to them in chapter 20, verse 27 of Acts, he said, for the past three years, I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. And I feel like that's my role as pastor, is to declare to you the whole counsel of God. So some of my series will be in the Old Testament prophets, and then another series will be in New Testament, and then back to the Old Testament for the law, then back to the New Testament for the epistles, back to the Old Testament for the writings, and back to the New Testament for um, uh, the Gospels or, or Pauline literature. But I feel like that I need to teach the whole counsel of God, or the whole Bible. Uh, and so, uh, it, it just as in general, how the Bible breaks down, the Old Testament is broken down into three sections. You've got the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible, the law. You have what Hebrews call the Nevaim, which is the prophets. And then the third one, what they call the Ketuvim, which was the writings. So the law would be the first five books of the Bible. Prophets, you know what those are. And then the writings would be like Psalms and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and Song of Songs and things like that. That's the Old Testament. New Testament divided into the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The book of Acts, which kind of stands alone. It's historical. And then you go uh, from there to the Pauline letters. There are 13 letters Paul wrote. Those are called the Pauline epistles or the Pauline writings. Those are 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Philemon, Galatians, Philippians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, Ephesians, Colossians, and Titus. Those are Paul's letters. Then you go to the next section called general epistles. Those are letters not to a church, but to believers in general everywhere. Those are James, 1 Peter, 2 Peter, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and Jude. And that's called the general epistles because they're not to a church, they're to general Christians everywhere. And then the last section was apocalyptic, that's Revelation. We did a study in Revelation. So I try to do all the genres and then go back to them. So that way I declare the whole counsel of God. So I just finished up prophets, and there were two kinds of prophets, two sections of prophets in the Bible, major prophets and minor prophets. And the difference between a major and a minor is simply how long the book is. It doesn't mean one's a major message, one's a minor message. It just means that one is longer than the other. So you got major prophets, four of them, because they're long. you got Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Isaiah and Daniel. Those are the long ones. And then 13 minor prophets, or rather 12 minor prophets, Hosea, 
Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. So you got 12 of the minor prophets. So I try to teach and preach out of every one of those genres, I guess you might say. So this kind of gives you an overview. You may wonder, why is he going from here to there? Because I feel like as pastor, it's my job to give you the entire counsel of God and not just stay in one genre. You may know it very well, but what about the rest of the Bible? So that's just my philosophy of pastoring. Some pastors don't do that, but I just feel like I need to, and that's my role, I feel like, is to share with you the entire of all of the Bible and what it has to say. So it's a long way to go, just to let you know, tonight I'm in the law. I'm in Leviticus because I, it's time to come back and share sections of the law with you. So tonight, an overview of the book of Leviticus. I'm not going to do a sermon series on Leviticus, and I know you'll probably thank me later for that. But I'm just going to do one night that I believe will be, uh, will be beneficial to you. Now, when you think of Leviticus, you probably think of dull and dry and boring. Probably. Because how many times... If you started, you're going to read through the Bible in a year. Genesis is great. It's a story. And Exodus is great. It's a story. And then you get to that third book and you hit a wall because it's Leviticus. Law after law after law after law after law that sometimes doesn't make sense to us. So we're going, how in the world do you make sense of Leviticus? By the way, Leviticus is the first book Every Jewish child studies by heart. And it's the last book we study by heart. Just to be honest, first book they study as a Jewish child. Because it relates to all of their life. Social and, and spiritual and relationships. They need to know it. So they study Leviticus first. And we study it last. A lot of times we see it as a book of dry rules and regulations, but really it emphasizes two things, holy living and worship. If you stop and think about it, every generation needs that, don't they? Every generation needs to know, how do I please God with the way I live, holy, and what is acceptable worship? So... Really, it's a book that really relates to us more than we may think. Where does it get its name? Anybody know? Tribe of Levi. Leviticus. Levi was the tribe of priests. Now, the word Levite is only mentioned once in the book, but it's talking to the priests. So, I want you to turn to chapter 20. We're going to read the key verse out of it in just a moment. While you're turning there, chapter 20, I want to remind you again, Leviticus means pertaining to the priests. So, Leviticus was given to the Israelites at Mount Sinai around 1446 B.C. That's the, that's the late date, if you early date, it's 1225, but it's probably around 1446. Now, here's the picture. Exodus closes... And God's people have been delivered out of Egypt. They're in the wilderness. Numbers, the book after Leviticus, they're on the move again. Leviticus, they stay in one spot. They don't move. It's not a narrative. It's not history. It's law. So, God brought his people out of Egypt. 
placed them there in the wilderness, Mount Sinai, right around Mount Sinai. They just stayed there. They didn't go anywhere in the book of Leviticus. They didn't travel anywhere. They stayed in one spot for an extended period of time, and God taught them law after law after law. Why? He had taken them out of Egypt. Now he's trying to get Egypt out of them. So he gave them his laws. And that's the, so Leviticus is, if you think of it, all in one spot for 27 chapters, and then numbers, we get to move on and live out what God told them in the, around the mountain there at Mount Sinai. So that's just kind of a picture as to, as to how it flows. Look at letter A on your outline, the key verse, Leviticus chapter 20. Let's read this together. I'm going to start 22, and you can follow along. But when we get to 26, that is the key verse of the entire book. Verse 22. You shall therefore keep all my statutes and all my rules and do them that the land where I am bringing you to live may not vomit you out. And you shall not walk in the customs of the nation that I'm driving out before you. Still trying to get Egypt out of them. For they did all these things, and therefore I detested them. Verse 24. But I have said to you, you shall inherit their land, and I will, talk about the Canaanites, and I will give to you to possess a land flowing with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God, who has separated you from the peoples. Verse 25. You shall therefore separate the clean beast from the unclean, and the unclean bird from the clean. You shall not make yourselves detestable by beast or by bird or by anything with which the ground crawls, which I've set apart from you to hold unclean. Verse 26. Here's the key verse. You shall be holy to me. For I am the Lord, for I the Lord am holy and have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. That's it. It's the whole purpose of Leviticus. God's saying, I'm holy, I'm separate. I want to separate you so you'll be different than the world, the culture, the peoples, because you are mine. So that's the whole purpose of Leviticus. Go letter B on your outline. Let's look at Leviticus in its context. Right in the middle of the Torah, remember the Torah, first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Right in the middle, the, the first five books of the Bible is called Leviticus, which is called the third book of Moses. Genesis, we see beginnings. Tower of Babel, God scattered the families of the world into the nations with their own languages. A few generations later in Genesis, God chose Abraham as the patriarch of his people. Genesis closes. Exodus opens. Abraham's descendants multiplied, became mighty among the people. They're living among the Egyptians. And Pharaoh enslaved God's people for a few centuries because he was scared of them. And God rescued them. And after this dramatic rescue where the waters part, the Red Sea parts, God made a special covenant with Israel, making them his people. And he himself would be their God. So the people built a tabernacle. And the creator of the world began dwelling among his people again. He said, make a tabernacle. I will dwell in the tabernacle and I will dwell among you. Exodus ends. Now he says, time out. 
in order for me to dwell among you, you've got to be different. You've got to be set apart. You can't live like the pagan nations around you, which at the time would be the Canaanites. You can't live like them and coexist with me because I'm holy. You've got to be different. So he gave them very meticulous laws and rules and regulations that to you and I make no sense. And I'll tell you in a moment why they don't make sense to us, but they did to them. Don't make sense to us, but all these rules and regulations that Leviticus is full of just so they can coexist with a holy, almighty God. That's why Leviticus is so important. It's their, it's their new normal. Yahweh publicly living among humans again. He hadn't done that since, since the Garden of Eden. But he's doing it now. His tabernacle's there. He's living among them. So since I'm now living among you again, you must be different. So the people camped at Mount Sinai throughout the book. And they listened. And finally Joshua led them into the promised land. But now they're learning how to be the people of God. That's what Leviticus is about. Go letter C on your outline. Important characters. There are three of them. Three characters in the book of Leviticus that are important. Number one, God. I know that's obvious, Yahweh, but the whole book is about how the nation of Israel needs to live in order to survive the presence of a powerful being. So, God's the first character. Second character, Moses. To the Israelites, Moses was their earthly leader. He led them through the waters of the Red Sea. He led them as they went into the wilderness. And so, at this point in the story, Moses has already passed down a lot of laws to God's people. But in Leviticus, he continues to list the ways that Israel can stay pure living alongside a holy God. So, 50 times, 50 in Exodus and Leviticus, one phrase appears over and over and over, and the Lord said to Moses, and the Lord said to Moses, and the Lord said to Moses, 50 times. Now, who wrote Leviticus? It's Moses. We know that because Matthew chapter 8 verse 4 in the New Testament tells us Moses wrote it. So, if Jesus said Moses wrote it, good enough for me. We don't need a doctoral dissertation on that. Moses wrote it because Jesus said so. So, God's the first character. Moses is the primary second character because God spoke to him 50 times. And the third character, Moses' brother, Aaron. Aaron was the high priest of Israel. He is the head of the tribe of Levi. Aaron is a key character throughout all of the first five books of the Bible, but especially of Leviticus. Because Leviticus' narrative elements doesn't have very many of them, but what few narratives we have usually center around Aaron or his family. If you remember, Aaron is consecrated as the high priest, 
But also in the book, if you remember, Aaron's sons died. You remember that? Died a violent death. Because they didn't take these Levitical commands very seriously. And they just half-heartedly did something they shouldn't have done. And God struck them dead on the spot. He said, it's pretty harsh. How else do you train them to be the people of God except to let them know, I'm serious about these laws. I'm serious about shaping you into a people that's different than the world around you. I'm serious about that. Just don't want you blending into the culture. You're different. You believe different. You act different. You speak different. Well, they didn't. Their, his sons died because of their disobedience to details. wasn't there. So, let's look now at the key themes, letter D on your outline. What are the key themes that keep coming up over and over and over in Leviticus? Well, there are a few of them. Let's look at them. Number one, the first theme you see all the way through is holiness. Holiness. God told his people, I'm holy. You must be holy. Now, our response to that is, whoa, wait a minute. I'm not perfect. How can I be holy? Holy does not mean sinless. Nor does holy mean perfect. Holy means separate. That's all it means. Separate. So God told his people, I am separate from the other gods. I'm holy. So you be holy. You be separate from the other peoples. You be separate from the other nations. And God communicated to his people, if you want to live in my presence, you have to be different. Just as I'm different. Now, sometimes believers today try to see how much we can live like the world but still be a believer. You ever known people like that? They want to dress like the world dresses and thinks like they think and vote like they vote and just be, just be a normal person but still be a believer. It's an oxymoron. You can't. If you're a Christian, you're separate. Because in Leviticus 19.2, God said again, I am holy, you be holy. And guess what First Peter quoted for believers in the New Testament? Leviticus 19.2. I'm holy, you be holy. So it's for us as well. 152 times in the book of Leviticus, the word holy appears. Doesn't mean sinless. It's different. Separate. 152 times. God has established Israel as a people to represent him on the earth. So therefore, they need to be different and separate. If they're going to live in the presence of God, some things need to change. So he gave them a lot of lists as how to be different than the rest of the world. So holiness is a word that keeps coming up over and over and over. But don't mistake holiness for sinlessness. It's not the same. Two, second theme, clean and unclean. 
A lot of times you're going to read, this is clean for you, Israel, and this is unclean. Now, Jews today still follow the Levitical law very closely, and they still say, this is clean, this is unclean. We can eat meat, but we can't eat pork. We can, can't eat fish, but we can eat other kinds of meat, you know. So, so they still go by this clean and unclean. And one way that the ancients understood holiness was whether something was clean or unclean. Now, don't think of it as good or bad. It's not what they're saying. They're saying clean and unclean. Nothing wrong with a fish. Nothing wrong with a pig. You just can't eat it. So, they weren't saying clean and unclean is good and bad. They were just saying it's a sense of purity. Is something aligned with God, the God we are approaching, or is it unaligned with the God we're approaching? So God gave us these laws. Some are clean, some are unclean. So a core theme all the way through Leviticus, holiness, and whether something is clean or whether it is unclean. Once you're unclean, Leviticus tells you how to get clean again. So that is in throughout the book as well. So holiness, number one, theme you're going to see over and over. Clean and unclean, number two. And a third theme you're going to see is don't be like the peoples around you. Now, the people around them were the Canaanites. Lived in the land of Canaan that they were going into the land there. The Canaanites had some odd ways because they worshipped false gods and they worship pagan gods, these Canaanite deities, that would require them to do weird things. So the Israelites often learned these practices from the Canaanites and started to do them. And God's going, no, 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 no. That practice is associated with Canaanite worship. Don't you do it. Have you ever wondered why it says, don't boil a goat in its mother's milk? And you're going, I've never once ever been tempted in my life to boil a goat in its mother's milk. What does that mean? That was what the Canaanites did in their worship practices. So he tells a group who very well knew what that meant. Don't do that. Because you're looking like a pagan and you're to be different. Oh, and by the way, don't put two kinds of seed in the same row in the ground. And you're planting. You and I go, what? Why not? But that's what the Canaanites did to worship the God of fertility. So the Israelites started doing it. And God said, don't do that. You're looking like a pagan when you do. That's what pagan worship does. You're trusting me. I'll bring your crop. And don't wear two types of material in your garment. So people today who try to pull out these laws for them and apply it to us, don't wear two pieces of material in their garment. But it doesn't make sense. You're just, so what he's saying is, that's what the Canaanite gods did. It's what they wanted you to do. Don't do that. You're looking like a pagan. And so those laws were for them because they knew exactly what they meant. You and I read it and go, that makes no sense. So critics of the Bible come along. And they think they're going to make you look foolish. 
and make us look foolish. Oh, your God says don't boil a goat in its mother's milk. What kind of God is that? What they're doing is they're showing their own ignorance. Because if they knew the context, they would know it was talking about Canaanite worship. And the purpose behind it is, the principle you draw for us has nothing to do with the goat and its mother's milk. The principle is, don't be like lost people. Be different. Be separate. Be holy. So, these critics, thinking they're going to make God look silly, and our reliance upon the Bible laughable, they'll pull out these verses that they love. Boiling a goat and wearing two types of garments, planting two seeds in a row, those kind of things, trying to make us look silly and make God look silly. They're just showing their own foolishness of not knowing the Bible. By the way, if you're going to criticize the Bible, at least understand it. Oh, it's full of errors. It's written by humans. How do you know? You hadn't even read it cover to cover. Most critics have never even read the Bible. But they have a, oh, it's full of errors. Oh, it does this. Oh, it, most critics have never even read it. So if you're going to criticize it, at least read it and understand it. A couple of other themes that come up. Presence, God's presence. The covenant keeps coming up. Sacrifice keeps coming up as well. Sacrifices were given for, for three reasons. One is a gift to God. Secondly, as a way of get rid and getting rid of your sin. And third of all, as a way of being in community with people around you. So those are really the three reasons they offered sacrifices. As a gift to cover sins and to get along with others around you. So let's look at, before we close then tonight, <clears throat> an outline, a simple outline of Leviticus. I'll give you a simple one first and a more detailed one next. Simple outlines this. Holy priests, holy place, holy people. Chapter 1 through 15, holy priests. Chapter 16 talks about a holy place, the tabernacle. And 17 through 27, holy people. That's a good basic outline if you just want a basic one. Holy priest, holy place, holy people. And that's kind of what the book is broken down into. But let me give you a more detailed and I think a better outline because I think this helps you understand the book better. This is listed on what's called the Bible Project. I think they do an outstanding job of putting together this outline. And if you think of the outline, you'll see it on the screen here. You'll see the ritual, and then you'll see, on, think of an inverted triangle. And over here, you remember I talked to Zechariah about a chiasm. Well, if you think of an inverted triangle, and on the very end you have ritual, and then you have priest in the middle, and then you have purity. Ritual, priests, purity. And that's the book. So it starts out chapters 1 through 7 on this side, purity, and then priest, 8 through 10, and then purity. I mean, ritual, priest, and purity. Chapter 11 through 15. And then on the other side, you have purity, chapters 18 through 20. Priest, 20 through 21. Ritual, 23 through 25. So, might be confusing on the screen, but here it is. Ritual, priests, purity. And it comes all the way in to the very center, underneath purity, Day of Atonement. So, 
It's an inversion. All the way leading to the Day of Atonement, back up from the Day of Atonement. So, if you can picture that, you get a picture of the entire book. In the top ritual, they had eight rituals. Five of them said, thank you. Five of them said, I'm sorry. And those were the rituals, the sacrifices they brought. Then they went to the priest, Moses and Aaron and his sons. Then to purity, and God said, in every aspect of your life, you need to be pure. Oh, you're not pure now? we got to get you that way. How do we get you pure? Day of Atonement. One day, verse chapter 16 and 17, everyone comes to the tabernacle, and there are two things offered. Purification for sin, so your sins can be gone. And the scapegoat, so your sins would symbolically be removed from the camp. They have atonement. Then we go back up to purity, moral purity. Now that, you are, now that you're cleansed, you, you live differently. Then back up to priest, qualifications to be one. And then finally back up to ritual again, the seven annual feasts. Remembering who God is, remembering who we are. Passover, Pentecost, booths, tabernacle, all things like that. Seven of them. So if you can picture this. It is the picture of a people coming into God's presence but being unholy. Day of atonement, sacrifices made, and then living to be God's people. Think about it. That's the story of your life. You were in sin. You came to the point you needed a Savior. Jesus, the sacrifice on the day of atonement. He's the sacrificial lamb. And now you live in moral purity to be the people of God. That's the story of our life. The outline of the book of Leviticus is the story of our life. Except the Day of Atonement in the Old Testament is Jesus in the New. So let's close with this. Letter F on your outline, keys to understanding the New Testament. Keys to understanding the New Testament. There are four keys from Leviticus that are brought into the New Testament. And the book that relates the closest to Leviticus in the New Testament is Hebrews. Because Hebrews keeps pointing back to Leviticus saying, the sacrificial system, oh wait, Jesus fulfilled that. Day of atonement, you need to be free of your sins. Oh wait, Jesus is the great high priest. And all the way through, Hebrews tells us, once and for all, Christ accomplished what they had to do in Leviticus every single year. So let me give you two or three keys to understanding the New Testament from Leviticus. Number one, the information on the sacrificial system in the Old Testament allows us to see a beautiful picture of Jesus' sacrifice in the New Testament. They bring that lamb up there to the altar and they slit its throat and through the blood flowing, the people are cleansed. That's a beautiful picture of Jesus, a sacrificial lamb with the blood flowing, we're cleansed. And secondly, we, learn, we understand more about Jesus as the ultimate high priest because the high priest year after year after year would have to keep bringing Leviticus these sacrificial lambs to be offered. But Jesus only did it once. And he's the eternal high priest. 
And then we allow the third way. It allows us to understand the tabernacle a little bit better because the tabernacle in the Old Testament meant God's presence is among us. Now that we have a right relationship with God, His presence fills the tabernacle. And in the New Testament, now that Jesus has died on the cross and we're covered, His presence fills us. It's the same picture. And then finally, it tells us about personal holiness. Because in the book of Leviticus, once your sins are forgiven, you're a different people. And you live different. And you live clean, not unclean. And you live holy before God. And in the New Testament, once Jesus has cleansed you and saved you and forgiven you, we have book after book after book, including Hebrews, that tells us now you are to live as a holy people to God just like Leviticus tells us. So, that's kind of an overview of the book of Leviticus that is a powerful book, an important book, to point us to the need of a Savior, of a sacrifice, and to point us to a God who is holy, that wants us to be holy, and know how to live in a relationship with Him. Leviticus lays the foundation as God had His people gathered around Mount Sinai listening to these laws, don't be like the peoples around you. You're different. And then go on to be the people of God. And that's exactly what we're told in the New Testament. So that's Leviticus. And I hope as you read it now, it won't be dull and harsh and boring. It will be something that you see. Ah, now I understand. If that, if that command doesn't make sense to me, it's probably something the Canaanites did. But God didn't want them to be like that. So hopefully Leviticus will make a lot more sense as you read it. If you have any questions or comments, I'll see you afterwards. Feel free to email me as well, and we'll, close, we'll pray and close. Let's pray together. Father, thank you tonight for your goodness and your love. God, thank you for Leviticus and how it sets down the ritualistic laws of how we're to please you and how we're to be your people. And God, what is clean and what is unclean? And so I pray, Lord, that you just help us as a people of God living on this side of the New Testament, Jesus being our ultimate sacrificial lamb. Thank you, Father, for a holy life that we can live before you. But God, help us to still live holy because you're holy. Help us to be different because you're different, living the ways you want us to live in the culture that you placed around us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you Sunday.